everyone. Welcome to episode number seven of the Live Free and Diet Hard podcast. And I'm your host, Andrew Coates. Uh, eventually, I'll stop sort of saying this sort of thing, but it, it still hasn't quite gotten comfortable, you know, with a new name and not having uh, my buddy Dean Guido as a co-host. So by now, everybody knows, or if they've been paying attention, his wife is going to have a baby, and so life is changing for him. So he's left the keys of the kingdom to me, and uh, but I'm still keeping on, keeping on with talking to my industry friends and industry leaders and, and great people that I hope will enrich your career and life with their ideas. So I've got Tony Gentilcore on with me today. Tony's back. And this is actually one of the best parts about doing this weekly podcast is, you know, I get to keep going and spend time with people, like I said, who've become really good industry friends of mine, who've been major influences on my career. And, and Tony's been a key, key one at that. Uh, I learned a lot of technical skills of uh, my training early on in my career, reading a lot of Tony's work. And he's not just a technical influence, but you know, a professional influence as well in terms of the way Tony handles himself with his social media, how he interacts with people. And I think that stuff actually matters a lot more than just learning how to do a squat or a deadlift properly, which Tony does lots of deadlifting. So like I said, I've been reading Tony's work for literally the last decade. Next month is my one, I'm sorry, 10 year anniversary of starting as a trainer, which is kind of exciting. And, uh, but, you know, most of all, I'm just really excited to have you back. So it's great to talk to you. Yes. It's always a pleasure to catch up and touch base. And I think you were officially, you might be of all the, all the workshops that I've presented at, you're definitely top five biggest dues that have attended. So that, that's, that, that's an honor it's for you to have, you know, Chris Duffin's probably number one. Chris Sorry. Wrong <laughs> motherfucker, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but no, likewise, I, I, I always appreciate your, your, your friendship and certainly professionalism in the industry as well. I think you're, you're a, you practice what you preach and, um, but yeah, high praise on your end. Thank you very much for that. Oh, it's well-deserved. I mean, again, like when I sat down and I had a list of people, all right, all right I, you know, I have a few hundred people I can, you know, talk to with rebranding. I want to bring a lot of people back. It's like, all right, well, you know, here's kind of this like, 10 or 15 people I are absolute must-haves right out the gates, right? I got Mike Gersertel and we let off with Sohee Lee and actually just got to, to interact with Matthew Ibrahim, who's become a really fast oh, friend. Oh, Matt's good dude. Yeah, good dude. Yep. Unbelievable. I just, he came alive on this podcast. I'm like, this guy is cool. So that we collaborated on a T Nation article and just, just been chatting a whole bunch. So really, really great dude. And that's one of the benefits of doing this stuff too. You know, and anybody listening, I mean, like, not everybody needs to have a fucking podcast. Like, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, it was funny you, you brought that up because I, I did a podcast last week and they were asking me, like, hey, why don't you ever start a podcast? And I'm like, well, fuck no, I don't, I don't have the time to do it. Um, but I also was like, I get invited on like one or two a month. So I was like, I kind of have one. Like, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, but yeah, every, it seems like everyone, especially of, of late, have been starting one, but it's rare that they're actually good. So um, again, a testament to you. Like, <laughs> it does take something to stand out. I read, sorry, listened to the FitCast for several years. Yeah. I mean, I've heard you talk on there at least a few times because you're pals with uh, Kevin and then yep. uh, Daniel Lennon, Sigma Nutrition Radio is really good. I, you've been on that too, haven't you? I'm sure. Uh, I do not think I have. That is one that I have no. not been on. Where you have, I maybe. Well, uh, you know what? I, I, I I'm, swear. I'm so lost. Like, you know, once you have a kid, Andrew, it, like, you forget everything. Like, I, I forget what I did last week. So, 
maybe I'm putting you at the lunch here, but like, I swear that you actually did the episode because I mean, his is a nutrition thing, but you know what? I wouldn't doubt it. Cause I know there was one point I shared a pretty viral article that he wrote on diet Coke um, <laughs> and how, why people were just going batshit crazy about, Oh, it's going to ruin your stomach. And he's like, no, like, it's fine. Um, and I think when I did that, we had connected. Um, so I think you're right. I think back in like, I don't know, 2015, 2016, that, that range. Uh, I might've gotten on there. Yeah. So I paid attention to some of the really great ones and you know, there's, there's so much out there and it's hard to keep up with everything. You got a lot of great friends who have podcasts, but I also really love Luca Hosevar's bigger life podcast. That's sure. I find Luca really lights me up and, and I find him really motivating. So having that in your space, you know, once a week, well, he's, he's the fitness industry's version of the world's most interesting man. I feel <laughs> ex gangster professional yeah. player so, gym owner. No, that that yeah. I, I mean that that he he's a he has a he's a different breed <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but I find it motivating. So I mean, I'm not all. I don't think everybody needs to subscribe to the Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, grind porn mentality, right? Nonstop hustle. I think that could be very unhealthy, but. If your mind works that way, and mind tends to a bit, having people like him or Mark Fisher in your head can be really, really valuable. Yeah. And then, you know, I think then, then you have those like myself who are a little bit more laid, but I, I would consider myself a little bit more laid back compared to okay. Mark and Luca. I mean, they're both laid back dudes. Don't get me wrong. They're not always like that, but it's certainly, it's nice to have people like myself to bring you back to the middle. <laughs> so you don't feel like you have to, grind and hustle too too much i mean it's it's always going to be hard work involved but it's nice to enjoy other attributes of life too well i mean you are a prolific writer (laughs) until not of late man i feel oh i was kind of calling myself out earlier today i was like of late uh i mean since covid i don't feel like i've been doing much of anything (laughs) uh there's just other things to other things have been taking on my 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 mental makeup for lack of a better term but uh i mean yeah i'm still getting content out there but i don't feel like i'm you know writing of of stuff that's like a lot of substance i feel like i'm kind of regurgitating and repurposing old stuff which is not a bad thing to do uh i mean there's stuff i've written you know i've been writing for a while there's stuff i've written eight nine ten years ago that i can go back and kind of spice it up a little bit uh doing a little bit more of that you've been, I mean, I'm going to jump around to the order that I plan some of these things, but you know, you've done a really great job over the years of hammering fundamentals. I mean, deadlifting, you're, you're very sure. for deadlifting. And um, you get a lot of coaches in the industry who are very caught up in, well, shit, I've got to innovate. I've got to, something different, whatever. Now, you also recently did a series of stuff with uh, Megan Calloway and Megan is mm-hmm. very creative. She's in a unique niche and she, her brand is growing and she knows what she's doing. Whereas I feel like a lot of people are fumbling randomly with everything. So, you know, I suppose, what are your thoughts about why you've always been rooted in the fundamentals? Though, uh, step out into creative stuff sometimes. Um, you know, part of it's just my, my, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a fruitless endeavor to even try to emulate people like Megan, <laughs> uh, or even Lee Boyce. Uh, I mean, Ben Bruno to, to a lot of, a lot of degree, uh, people who just come up with exercises that are like, I look at it and it makes sense. That's, that's the important thing um, there. Cause there are some coaches and trainers or um, influencers, which I hate that term, but you know, out there that are putting stuff up 
that I watch and I'm like, okay, like, cool, but uh, that takes probably 10 minutes to set up. Uh, it take, and what is the application here? Like, well, I, I could just do this exercise and that takes two seconds to set up and I'm getting the same kind of concept. Um, you know, so there's some, it, it, the thing about Megan and Lee and like, they're pointing out, they're very innovative thinkers and outside the box thinkers, but the, their stuff makes sense. And there are many times where I, I look at something they put up or write about and I'm like, man, like that is a completely obvious thing that I should have thought about <laughs> that I didn't. Uh, and you know, that, that's just, you know, that's my brain. Like I, I, I've, I've been surrounded by individuals my entire career who are kind of the antithesis of me uh, in terms of uh, um, just how they're, how they function. Like, I mean, I've been best friends with Eric for decade or two decades now, um, former business partner. Like I lived with him for two years. Uh, you know, you know, being around him was, was, you know, I was able to absorb uh, a lot of his, um, I wouldn't say I was like copying him, but I, I saw his work ethic of course. And I was like, Whoa, I need to step up my game. Uh, I've joked about it many times where I think there was, when he was writing, uh, I forget if it was, uh, I think when he was writing um, uh, Maximal Training or Maximal Strength, Maximal his first book, oh, yeah. uh, he was writing that while we were living together in his room while, while I was out in the living room watching like Lord of the Rings for the 17th time. It was on a Friday night. <laughs> so it was just... Legendary for his productivity when it comes to writing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, he was somebody that early in his career, like I think he had his first article published on Teenage at 22. Uh, which doesn't happen. I, I don't think it happens nowadays that someone that young gets published on a site like that. Tiny younger on there. I was just listening to a podcast. John Romanello appeared on another one, and John actually was talking about how I think he was like twenty or twenty-one when he got on there. And I'm like, yeah, I was, like, I was thirty. <laughs> not no, I was forty when I got first published on there. Right? It's like, geez, I started in the industry at thirty-two, so I'm a late starter in that sense. Yeah, and you know, I. But going back to your original question, like in terms of keeping stuff simple, um, I don't feel the need that I need to kind of be show-offy or I, I'm a firm believer that if you, in the strength and conditioning realm particularly, uh, keeping things simple is kind of what works and what most people need to be, need to be focused on anyway. Uh, to me, it's if, you're, if you're able to understand, certainly you got to understand anatomy and functional anatomy and how stuff connects, of course. Um, and I wouldn't even say like, I'm like the bees knees on that front. Like I get by, uh, but, uh, but in terms of like looking and, you know, coaching somebody up on deadlift technique or squat technique to be able to regress and progress and maneuver people and understand like, what's going to be a better fit for them. And even assessing it, like what is going to be the, the right variation for them? Where is the bar going to go? Where, where are they free feet going to go? Uh, where should they stand? Um, you know, I, I, if you're doing that as a coach and trainer, you, you already have a step up on 90% of the, your, 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 your colleagues. I think there's really no need to get too cute. Uh, and a lot of that, I mean, sure. A lot of that stuff gets likes and follows, but you know, if you're, if you're looking to you know, make that a business, I mean, it's not, it's not going to, it's not going to work long, long term. I, I, I do feel those who keep it more simple um, tend to have a little bit more lasting uh, power or more skin in the game. 
uh, when it comes to industry growth and, and career growth? Well, it's funny because I mean, I think you're being a touch humble because it's certainly amongst trainers who really care to dive into the evidence-based community and, and learn from the people we know are well-respected in our space. You are one of the foundational teachers of a lot of the basic fundamental stuff. And you're a great communicator at taking the technical aspects of it and the basics and writing it and presenting it in a form that is really accessible to, you know, an entire generation of coaches. I mean, certainly it's been going on since I started in the industry. And so, you know, even the people coming up today are still seeing that. So there's a lot to be said for the skill of taking that information and distilling it down into a really accessible, engaging form. So maybe, you know, maybe in hindsight, that is, that is my superpower. Because <laughs> uh, you, you, I mean, you are right. Like I do, I do think there, a lot of that comes via experience. Like I've been coaching since 2002. So I think a lot of that's just via experience and, and, and coaching. I don't even know how many people I've coached in my, in my career, a lot. Uh, so there's that, but then practicing what I preach. Like I think that that comes into play. Um, and you know, I, I, I don't write about stuff that I don't do myself, um, in terms of an exercise variation or even like a program, like I've, I've kind of tested everything that I write about, which I think is important as well. Um, but yeah, like I, I do think it, it a skill set of being able to take a complicated thing like squat technique, which you know, there's a lot of nuances to teaching a good squat, uh, and simplifying it and just keeping it and just understanding that each, each person is, is different. Like I, I, I've never, I've never, uh, approached, I mean, maybe early in my career I did, but I've never approached that thing per, per se, like squat technique instead. Like, yeah, everyone has to squat this way. If they don't do it this way, then they're wrong and they're an idiot. And like, it's my way or the highway. Um, I, I don't like that approach at all. Uh, when I when I see other coaches and fitness professionals take that uh, tone, um, I, I just lose a lot of respect for that because I, I I understand that everyone's a little bit different, um, you know, in terms of their stance and what's comfortable, and not to mention their goals. Uh, so um, yeah, the simpler the better is my is my mantra. <laughs> if there's anything to learn from. Agree on the squats. I mean, um, I actually need to dive into it, but Christian Thibodeau just put something up on T Nation about. Um, it was an article sort of in favor of not necessarily always squatting deep. I just put up a post now. I'm, I'm 6'2", so I'm, I'm tall, but I squat my you know glutes to heels. And so I put up a video of me just squatting the other day. And I've been mostly doing single leg work. I'm going to come back to that in a second in your, <laughs> your video. But you know, I, I clearly said I squat deep because I have the ability to. Sure. Use it as a governor on the load that I use. I do think a lot of people squat shallow to varying degrees when they have the capacity to move in a deeper range of motion, which we know is safe. If your injuries or your individual body allows for that movement as a way, just a quote ego lift. And, and I guard against that because I don't think that's necessarily all that helpful, but yeah, you can vary. I mean, Dean Somerset's wife, Lindsay, you know, she can't squat to parallel due to history of injuries. And Dean's posted video of her before squatting and, Occasionally someone will come in and complain or whatever, but I mean, you, know, you and me know as much about hip and, and squat anatomy as anybody. And no, it, it, there's no one size fits all for it. So again, like you said, anybody who comes in stating that, oh, there's one singular way to do it and that's it, everything else is wrong. 
uh, I don't like superlatives in language and fitness anyway. So, you know, approach the person who makes such claims with a little bit of caution and see what else they're about. And, you know, don't run screaming. You know, they may have some other great stuff. Kelly Sturette, sure. you know, supple leopard. He makes a very clear statement about how, like, feet need to be straight or within five degrees of straight. And it's like, well, I know that's not correct. But Kelly's full of all their really great information. It's actually otherwise a really great book. Agreed. Well, the book Agreed. Because there's this one detail that I'm like, uh, no. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, you talk yeah about, I'm, I'm interested about you, this video. Your, your, you that I the, well, the single leg stuff. Yeah. So, um, me and Luca Hosvar very separately have been posting stuff about, um, you know, supported or Hatfield Bulgarian. Sports. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I wrote a, I have a Tunisian article up about it a while back, and then I see Luca's doing them. He's holding the rails a little differently than I was. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm gonna try that. So anyway, we've been posting this stuff and then other people have been jumping on and trying it and realizing, okay, A, this is hard, but you know, you can move more weight than you thought. So you pop up and you, you're recovering from a torn Achilles. Yeah. Yeah. So meanwhile, motherfucker. What's up, Andrew? <laughs> good leg. And what do you, what is it? Like 300 pounds for a set of. Yeah. I was like, you know, I saw your video um and it just so happened that i was on i'm on one of my lower body days uh and this might have been i don't know three or four weeks ago mm. i think yeah um so i wasn't quite at i think i just started doing a bilateral deadlift at that point because i was still on my boot i think at that point mm. um i've technically been out of my boot for like full like full on for the past two weeks um but at that point i saw your video um and this whole time since my achilles injury you know i've 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 kind of lean into this idea of the trainable menu and kind of proving to people that, you know, you can train around pretty much any injury. Uh, so let's find your trainable menu. So this whole time during my Achilles uh, rehab, uh, that's kind of what I've been showcasing with my training. So I, my left, I, I injured my right side. So my left side was good to go. Uh, and when I saw your video, I was like, you know what? I bet I can, I bet I could do 300 pounds on that. Uh, so I did, I think I did it for five. I was going to try to go for 10, but you know, I didn't want to push my luck, but, that, um, it's wild yeah. that you can load, especially if you know, you're trained and strong because you add a lot of stability. You know, if you look at it, the position that your hands are in, people think, oh, you're pushing with your arms. You're not getting any push out of the hole in that position. That's not the whole time. I mean, of course you're taking balance out of the equation, which I'm fine with. Uh, it really, my objective was, I just want to make sure my, my legs don't get small. So I, I could give two shits about my balance at that point. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you're, you are getting a little bit, tiny bit of help, of course, but not as much as people think. Um, you know, and I, I was, I wasn't like, I was like, pulling down on, on the pegs. I was just kind of like using it as like a, a balance point. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I, I won't lie. I was kind of surprised on what I could actually do. Uh, and seeing your video, what was the impetus of that? I was just like, you know what, like, I'm gonna see if I can get to 300 on this. And it was a nice little, you know, add a little spice to my workout that day. Cause as you know, when you're rehabbing, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. <laughs> so uh, that was, and then I saw Luca do it and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You just, you know, all just kind of getting a little, uh, competition in there. Well, it's not even fair Luca, right? Cause Luca's like, say he's 204 pounds. He's, he's just a little bit shorter than me and like I'm 260. So Luca, <laughs> I try to catch up to Luca's targets and then Luca leaps past me again. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Ah, jerk. Eventually I put up 365 for three and mine are deep. Like, you know, I've seen some people who, 
they've been trying it, but they're actually kind of shallow. It's like, okay, no, 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 guys. Like, there's a big difference here. You got to get them deep where your knee is nearly touching the ground. But Lucas impressive. I think he he had like 335 for five or six or something. Oh, man. I might have to go, you know what? I think either today or tomorrow is a lower body day. I might have to step off my game. I haven't done it in a few weeks. So I might have to hit 335 for a five or something. Go for it. My my top ones are 365 for three. That felt heavy as hell. And then 315 yeah. for eight per leg, which that was tough, but it felt pretty good. Yeah. So All right. Like principle here that, you know, anyone listening, they're like, what the fuck is Tony doing training one leg? You know, his one leg is going to be huge and the other leg is going to shrivel up and be nothing. But I've, I've I, d- I disagree with that, actually. I mean, I know I know you do too. So, yeah, but I, w- I won't cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> I wrote an article on this, you know, cross-education and the, the neural innovation of the, the injured and immobilized limb actually is well-researched that will have preservative effects on muscle thickness and strength but i'll let you take it a little yeah i mean my mindset my my train of thought was what is the same i've seen plenty of research that backs up if you train the healthy limb or the non-affected limb there is going to be a neural carryover to the affected side which then when you do start to uh, re-implement normal training you're probably going to see not as much of a regression uh, in your, in your strength and not to mention atrophy. Uh, and you're going to probably bounce back a little bit quicker. Um, so, and then, but then at the, at the other end of the spectrum, I'm like, well, what the fuck else am I going to do? Like, I want to train, like, you know, there's a mental component here, like my own mental health. Uh, you know, what am I just, what am I not going to, I'm just not going to train my, my left leg because I can't train my right. Like that's, that's just a bunch of nonsense. So, and not to mention my, I, I, my bench has been going up. Like I'm, I've, I'm an abysmally bad bench presser, which I'm, I'm fine with. Like I, I've accepted it. Um, nice. And, uh, but my, my bench has seen a nice little bump uh, in the, in, in recent weeks, which, you know, trainable menu, like, okay, I can't, I can't go to town with my squatting and deadlifting, but I can, I can bench press, I can do chin-ups. Um, but yeah, you know, back to the, 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 the single limb stuff. Uh, you know, I, I, I really haven't noticed a, a ton of atrophy in, in my right leg. Yes. My calf is small. My right calf is smaller than my left, but, um, but certainly it's, 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 it's not super noticeable at all. Uh, I still have an ass. Uh, I still have a hamstring on that, on that right side. Uh, and I, and I know once I, once I'm able to get back to normal training to my standard, uh, that I'll probably, I'll probably, it probably won't take long for me to bounce back to my, uh, uh, pre-injury numbers, uh, in terms of my deadlifting and squatting and stuff. So, um, that's kind of the, the goal, you know, running and jumping, is going to be another thing altogether, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, considering like, I, I mean, yes, I'm walking now, but even my gait is a little bit off and, um, it, it you know, with, with an Achilles injury, they say it's about a year, uh, where you're back to full full strength and full capacity. Um, and I, and I think I'm, I'm approaching for the four month mark and I'm, I'm pretty much on par where I'm supposed to be. I might be a little bit ahead of the curve. Cause I, you know, I, you know, I, I was training fairly aggressively even when I was in my cast and in my boot. And I think people were kind of like, Whoa, Tony back up. Like, and I, I didn't feel at any point I was being an asshat. Like I wasn't doing anything so stupid where I felt I was going to injure myself for, you know, I, and I knew when to pull back when I, when I had to, or if I had to. Um, but yeah, I was, I was being pretty aggressive with training my non-affected side and doing a lot of 
stuff with my knee bent on the bench. So I was doing rack pulls. I was doing heavy rack pulls at like four <laughs> over 400 pounds, uh, with, with like, like three weeks past my surgery, uh, um, you know, doing, doing hip thrusts and, you know, uh, reverse, reverse, uh, reverse hypers. I mean, I was doing a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, you do tons of reverse hypers. That wouldn't even matter. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but a lot of it was just for my mental, <laughs> my, uh, for my mental health. Cause I, you know, I, I, and I did have a few people reach out and be like, no, aren't you scared that your, your left leg is going to get bigger? It's like, who cares if it did? Like, <laughs> like uh, the is uh, shrinks and gets, <laughs> that doesn't sound good. And, you know, you keep saying the mental health aspect and that is profoundly important. A lot of people, in our world, you know, think about us in, in, in the industry who've been around a while and think, oh, these guys, they've got great lives, happiness, whatever. Maintaining our emotional well-being is still very crucial. You mentioned yourself, you know, you have a therapist, your wife yep. is professionally, you know, she, she is not my therapist, by the way. <laughs> that, that, would, that would not go well. <laughs> but there's something else in here too. It's, you know, I like to sort of call it momentum, training momentum. And it's, it is really relevant to kind of what we've all dealt with with COVID as well. And I was someone who was lucky through the everything I was able to, you know, train clients in person in my basement the entire time, very carefully. You know, there's going to be people who listen like, oh, you're not supposed to, like, seriously, you know, you, you take precautions and you're smart. Yep. And what that resulted in is everybody who participated in that kept their momentum and came flying out the gates and their physical and emotional health was great. What's the alternative? you know, the deterioration of your physical and emotional well-being, you know, because of all this stuff. I don't think that's a really good approach. And what I've noticed is while I had a, a surge of new people, the people who struggled, who, who weren't comfortable with or weren't able for whatever reasons, maybe like vulnerable family members uh, who stopped during it all, they've had a really hard time restarting. <clears throat> and I think they've sort of, some of them have slipped into some, some mental health stuff just due to everything that's been going on. And keeping that training momentum has been really important for a lot of those people. It certainly mm -hmm. mattered to me, and you know, I was working out the whole time myself. And you know, going through that's a major injury, right? I mean, you know, we're as fitness professionals, you know, our income is dependent on our ability to work. You suffer a major lower body injury like that, and that could theoretically, you know, prevent a, a friend of mine who works at the the gym I'm at. He broke his something in his knee. He really tore it up pretty bad, and he was not able to work. And he came back on crutches in a limited capacity and it has emotionally affected him in a big way. So it can rob our, ourselves of our livelihood. So what are your thoughts on that and making, continuing and getting through major disruptions in our ability to work because you dealt with it concurrently in two different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a delicate balance of course. Cause I mean, I, I tried really hard when COVID hit as as my client's coach, um, to not be too pushy with working out training. So I think there was this initial push when COVID happened. I, I think you saw it too, um, where it was like, all right, we're all locked in. We're, we're all in quarantine. So now we're just going to, everyone's going to learn a new language, learn an instrument, uh, write that novel, um, train, like get shredded. Cause you got nothing to do to train, but train. And that was a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> um, I know me personally, and I'm just speaking for me. Um, my, my, I mean, I wasn't hurt yet. I didn't get hurt until May. So from March until May, 
yes, I was training, but I, I wouldn't say my motivation to train was, was super high. I mean, yes, I went, um, but I was like, I was kind of like, get just like, all right, like, I understand that this is, it isn't just about the, uh, the physiological um, things I'm after, but the more of the mental, it, it was important to me. Um, but with my clients, I, I, I was very careful with just saying, what, what can I do to support you? What can I do to help? Um, you know, if you, I, I, obviously I'm shut down. Like I can't, I can't see anyone in person at, at my studio. Um, but if you want me to help you devise a, an at-home workout based off the equipment you have available, let's do it. If not, then that's fine. Like, well, let's just do a weekly check-in uh, just to see how you're doing, um, you know, stuff like that. I, I mean, I, I, I felt it was important not to be pushy with, you have to train, like you have to keep up with it. Um, was I biased in thinking that that was going to be important? Sure. Uh, but I felt it prudent to um, not overstep my bounds and, and, and pressure people into thinking that they had to keep up with their training or else. Because uh, I don't think that was going to do anyone any favors, if that makes sense. Um, I'm sure my, I'm sure my wife could probably have a more articulate way of, of, of describing it, but, uh, that, that was where my headspace is at in, in, in terms of that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm similar where when, when I was able to open back up, so late last week of June, um, gyms in Massachusetts, particularly in Boston, were allowed to open up at a limited capacity. Um, and I would say I had a probably close to an 80% return rate. Um, which is pretty darn good. Uh, but I had, I had a, a smattering of clients who, for a variety of reasons, um, either they had a compromised um, a relative that they were around that they didn't want to, they didn't want to risk uh, getting sick. Um, a couple, um, I have many healthcare professionals, doctors, because uh, I'm in Boston, it's a pretty well-renowned uh, um, health, in, health industry city. Um, no doctors who are, I mean, one of my clients is a, um, a pediatric neurosurgeon. <laughs> uh, so he, he really, really stupid individual. He, he, he's really dumb. Uh, but he was, I mean, of course he's, he's like, you know, I probably shouldn't come in just because of the, the demographic. I'm, of course I understand. Um, uh, and, and he still hasn't come back, but he's doing at home workouts and I'm supporting him the best I can. Uh, eventually I feel like everyone's going to be back at some point. Um, you know, as it happens last week, I reached out to two of my clients who originally were like, okay, I'm not ready to come back. Whether, whether it was like financial or cause some, some people were afraid they're going to lose their jobs and they just like the, they didn't have the passive revenue to, to pay for training, which of course I understand. Um, you know, and I reached, I sent an email out to two of my clients that, Hey, just checking in. This is nothing but a check-in. Like, this isn't like, that's all it was. I just want to know how you're doing. Um, and they, they wrote back saying, Hey, I'm ready to come back. Like, let's, let's set something up. Um, and they, they came back last week. So um, I just found like the, the best approach, at least personally, is just not to be too pushy with it. And people, certain people are going to go at their own pace. Um, and, I, and I, and I respect that. I think, 90 plus percent of all this stuff is still the long-term trust and relationship that we built with our clients anyway. Sure. 
So, I mean, yeah, what you do during and, you know, too much pressure on people when they're not ready. I mean, that makes no sense. But, you know, most of the people are going to find their way back on their own, even without too much nudging. And I found yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, with my, I mean, I'm sure it's the same way with your clients. Like we have, we have a, a little bit of a self-selected client base, uh, a little bit more proactive. Uh, you know, they, they read our stuff on T Nation or they, they've come across our blog and uh, they, they're just a little bit more, um, yeah, proactive is the best word I can, I can come up with. And, and they don't need a ton of nudging as it is to, to, to keep up with their training. Uh, uh, like they miss deadlifting. They miss doing pharma carries <laughs> like they want to do it. Um, I think maybe with a, you know, a lot of uh, uh, industry professionals in like a commercial gym setting, um, depending, uh, might have a little bit more of an issue with that. But, but again, if you're, if, you're, if you're taking the time as a coach and as a trainer to develop personal relationships, not like creepy personal relationships, of course, but, but like you, yeah, like, you know, you, you, you have a, like the check-ins and like you actually ha can have a conversation with your clients and you have a, a rapport with them outside of just telling them how many sets and reps they have to do on an exercise. Uh, you know, I, I think you're going to, yeah, I agree. You're going to, you're going to, your retention rate is going to be pretty darn high. Um, comparatively speaking, if you're just like, if you're just someone who's just posting, you know, selfies on Instagram, uh, and, and, and taking that approach, then, you know, that is what it is too. But, uh, thing is something, uh, so the company I won't name them, but the company that Dean Somerset and I used to work for during COVID, they, like a lot of gyms did temporarily laid off a lot of their employees, but they also mm -hmm. a legal warning that they were not allowed to be in contact with their clients. Oh yeah. While, that's a tough one. Yeah. While I understand that from a corporate point of view, I think that's kind of short sighted because, you know, I know of a number there people, actually a lot of their trainers fled uh, after, during and after the COVID thing. Yep. Um, and I think maybe you're damned if you do, damned if you don't on that one, but you know, <laughs> you're directly interfering. When I was there, I mean, if I were still employed there, that would have been the final straw for me too. Thankfully I left years ago, but I mean, most of my clientele were people I brought in by referral. So, you know, yep. kind of tell me that, you know, I don't have a relationship with these people, go fuck yourself. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, <laughs> But I mean, I left a long time ago for, for various reasons. Man, I, I mean, I, and I know who you're talking about and you know, that, 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 man, I have to say like, they, they don't get it. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to say they haven't gotten it for a really long time, but you know, Dean you followed know, I, out a year after I did that a whole bunch of other people followed us out. And a lot of them are independent contractors under the same. Part employer. of me is like, you know, I, I mean, part of me, yes, can understand the business. I, I get it. Uh, but also when we're, when we're in unprecedented times and you're dealing with, it, it, it's not just, it's not, it's not just, it's just not just a monetary relationship here. Uh, you know, and if you're approaching it that way, that it's just a transaction, that's, that's all you mean to me. You're just a monthly transaction. Uh, yeah. You know, you're not, you're going to, you're, you're not going to keep <laughs> that many clients like they're 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 not going to come back or uh they they want it i mean it's, it's like that old mike boyle famous quote nobody no one cares how much you know till they know how much you care i mean that's uh i mean if that doesn't say it all then i don't know what does you know Absolutely. Uh, i had a few other questions i i wanted to dabble in and i suppose this is probably a good place any you've been around you, you said 2000 and what two you, so yeah years that's a fairly long career journey. You started out pretty young. 
what priorities have changed across your career? I mean, obviously one of them is going to be family because, you know, you now you have a young family, but you know, is there anything that matters to you now you never even imagined or stuff that mattered to you early in your career? You look back at and you're just laughing at yourself for caring about that stuff. Man, that's, I'm, I'm so not a re reflective person, which I know sounds very weird given that I'm married to a psychologist. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I would say stuff that hasn't changed is, uh, you know, I, I always, I'm always striving to, to be or get better um, in terms of continuing. Yeah, like I, I've never been the type of coach who feels like he's figured everything out and, you know, I don't need to learn anymore. And I have come across colleagues who do feel that way. Uh, I remember when I first moved to Boston and I, I, my first job in Boston uh, was at a pretty high level um, commercial gym. Uh, and we're talking, I was one of like 70 trainers, uh, just massive. And I remember having a conversation with one of the other trainers. He, and he was like this guy who always had like his, um, Kendall, Kendall anatomy book. Uh, he was that guy. And, uh, which is cool. Like, all right, you, you're, you're an anatomy nerd. That's awesome. But then I remember having a conversation with him about like, an article or a book or whatever. He's like, ah, like I, I already know what I need to know. Uh, I don't need, like, I don't bother myself with learning other stuff. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing to a degree. Um, but he basically said like, I, I already know it all. Um, and I'm like, man, I never want to be that way. <laughs> I don't feel, I don't feel that's a, a smart wise decision, uh, for, uh, to be in this industry and, and think that, you know, it all. Um, common thing but, in commercial gym settings. I worked with a few people in the past who sort of had that attitude, but I also found those people tend to be looking long-term outside of the industry. Sure. Yeah, that's well, a good point. I went on to become a firefighter. You know, he, he's got a good education training and, you know, his clients loved him, world-class personality, but I know there wasn't much of an interest or investing in anything beyond where he had achieved. Yep. And, you know, he did a good job, but he, he wanted to grow beyond it. I think once you get into private settings you're seeing people who are relentlessly pursuing education i think that's also like you said self-selecting where the people that we're exposed to the people who come to your seminars are that type of person i mean like literally anyone who's coming to your seminar is someone who's made that commitment you're just not getting coaches who decided hey i know everything i need to know yeah and i also think it's kind of like i i view it as a responsibility on my on my end too like i know i know i'm not cheap uh, and, and for me to justify my, my prices, I feel like part of that is, well, it, it pays like your, these, what I charge kind of helps pay for continuing yet. Like it allows me to travel and, um, you know, yes, present and teach myself, which I think you would agree, even if you are the presenter and you're doing a one or two day workshop, you're still learning quite a bit, uh, when you're, when you're doing that, like there's been numerous times where. You know, I, I've learned many tidbits from attendees of, of workshops, but certainly going to attend conferences and workshops too is important. Mm -hmm. I, I view that as a responsibility um, just to, you know, stay relevant and stay on top of my game. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm kind of, uh, I've said numerous times that I'm, I'm, I hate reading research. Uh, I'm not good at it. I think that is a skill set in and of itself. Um, you know, but I have memberships to numerous uh, research reviews. Uh, again, uh, I, I just view it as a responsibility that uh, throughout my career, I, I've always placed a pretty high 
uh, standard on uh, main, maintaining that mindset uh, that I will never not want to get better um, or improve myself or to feel like I figured it all out. Um, and I, and I, and I, and I think people appreciate that. Like, you know, I'm, I am not scared to say there's three words. I feel like the industry is scared to say, I don't know. Uh, uh, that happens a lot. I don't know why, I don't know why that is. Um, it might just be human nature in general, but I see it a lot in, in the health and fitness industry. Like people are scared to say, I don't know. Um, and I, I am not scared to say that. Uh, vulnerable to admit that yeah you don't have all the answers right and you know there's been times where where clients have asked me a question and they or something that they've read and they bring it up to me and i was like oh i don't know like let me look into it like i'll, I'll read it myself or you know thankfully i have many friends in the industry who are smarter than i and i can ask them their opinion and i can always get the answer uh so you know that's another quality that i felt i've i've carried with me from early in my career that i'm, I'm really not I'm not ashamed or abashed to say, I don't know to something, um, you know, so I think, yeah, go ahead, Andrew. I was going to say, I think it's worth pointing out too. you know, anyone listening, if they're like, oh shoot, you know, I, I've got to go and read research people, you, you're a good example, but you certainly take people like, I know, Sohi Lee, Dr. Mike Gizertel, um, the list goes on and on and on of people who are spending a lot more time diving into peer reviewed research. You're following those people because they're taking that research and they're turning it into something that's accessible for you. So no, you don't need to go in to read this stuff. Being able to can be useful at times. I don't tend to read a lot of research. Um, I've gotten into a little bit when I'm writing um, the article on cross-education. I had to read a whole bunch of peer-reviewed research because I really needed to know what the fuck I was talking about. I knew it existed. I just had to dive in. And uh, I wrote an article a while back that you shared in your newsletter. I got a lot of reads, by the way, off of that um, about sleep. And mm -hmm. that required a lot of digging into research stuff. So yeah, that was a that was a deep one. Yeah, that 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 sure with that an article like that needs needs <laughs> needs research. Uh, and yeah, I agree. Like I don't I don't feel like you know you need to spend your Friday nights reading research to be relevant in the industry. I think you need to like be familiar with it and like. Uh, that, but that, again, that's why I love research reviews like examine.com. Uh, stronger by science, uh, Breckenridge that has a research review. Um, I I pay f I subscribe to all all of those, um, and they're relatively. I mean, they're pretty cheap considering. Mass. Um, I I feel like what was that? Mass. Mass. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um, well, but uh, does Greg have something? I mean, Greg's Greg Knuckles puts out a ton of stuff through Stronger by Science. Mass is what him and Eric Helms. And yep. Is it, yep. Uh, Mike Zorzuru. Oh man. I feel bad. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Mark. But, but yeah, they, I mean that they do a wonderful job. Uh, and you know, for return on investment, I mean, we're talking $10 a month, uh, or something mm -hmm. along those lines. Uh, weightology is another fantastic one. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so stuff. these are some good ones. Yeah. And then, so I'd rather, I just, think it from a time efficiency standpoint it, it makes more sense for me to you know read other people's granted their interpretation and in, in some ways uh, of the research but they're all smart individuals so i, I kind of trust their their expertise on that um so that helps tremendously yeah what was that andrew what was that we're doomed if we can't trust greg knuckles and james krieger and eric yeah exactly through what the research says yeah um 
you know, and I think to, to flip the conversation in terms of stuff that I, you know, didn't do early in my career that I feel like has been more relevant as I've gotten older, um, it's certainly the uh, financial savviness. Uh, that is something that early in my career, I didn't think at all about in terms of, you know, retirement, uh, you know, how, like preparing for taxes or, 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 or even like thinking about that. And um, this is not to say I did not pay my taxes. I'm just saying my, my organization of like preparing for those each year uh, was, was uh, pretty piss poor back then. Um, now I have all these, these systems in place that, that I, that I use and, um, being able to like put in money to my SEP IRA and, and have, ret having retirement and, um, you know, and then just having money to be able to live a life and like save for a car or a, a, a house or whatever. Um, you know, uh, that stuff I did not do early in my career, which I wish I did. Uh, you know, always, you know, the, you always see people do the math. Well, if you started five years earlier, you'd have this much now. It's like, Oh, damn it. Uh, I did not do that early in my career. So, um, and actually I, I, I honestly, I didn't really start really doing it until, uh, I left CSB, um, Cressy sports performance. When I started my own studio, then I started getting like, okay, now I need to be, I need to be a little bit more, um, in tune with, with finances and what the hell I'm doing. Um, so, that would be something early in my career I wish I paid a little bit more attention to. I know uh, Chad Landers and James Krieger now are doing a project when it comes to, I can't remember the exact title of it, but it's, it's FitPro Financial Services or something. Yeah, like yeah. He's you know, smart. Stuff and going, ah, shit. Well, another thing, go read uh, Ramit Sethi's book, uh, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. That yep, that's a good one. Uh, and then, yeah, go and check out what James and, and Chad are doing. And at least that way you have a plug-in that, that resources out there. If that's something like, shit, I'm not doing these things, cool. We just gave you something to go and follow up on and then you're covered, right? Versus just talking. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, another another one I would highly recommend is uh, Profit First. Um, right. um, I always forget the author's name, but... Uh, oh. Michalowicz. Yeah, it, it, excellent. I mean, it, that that is the system I use, um, and it's it's it works like gangbusters in terms of just simplicity. Uh, I know I know where my money is going each month, uh, and it, it's yeah, it's uh, it's just it's a really really nice system. I can't say I'm listening to his voice on audio, his books. He is my least favorite. Author. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. He I, I, spoke, he was the keynote speaker at a, at a conference I spoke at a few years in Chicago. Um, ironically, I, I didn't go to it cause I was, I was elsewhere um, at the time, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I actually, so I didn't hear him talk. So I don't, I wouldn't know. Horrible. I, I read <laughs> other books and I mean, so I actually had this debate on here. If anyone remembers with Andy McCoy, McCoy, sorry. And, uh, and Andy uses profit first too and swears by it and thinks it's the greatest thing in the universe. And so, but I just found this guy really needs to get someone else to read his audiobooks. Uh, and he had like I, the pumpkin plan was another one of his books. And it's like this motherfucker. Oh yeah. Suck yeah. To listen to he's, I, I just, sorry. I had a bluntness. If an audio read like uh, narrator is really annoying. It's just it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I can, I, I can appreciate that. There's been, I, I understand. And, and Andy was the one who sort of convinced me that uh, there's a lot of value behind it. So I think 
that recommendation is worthwhile for anybody who's, uh, who's thinking about this stuff. So I guess here's another thing embedded in all this stuff too, is that, you know, 18 years ago, you started out in the industry and somewhere along the way, building a brand and being something more than just a commercial setting trainer mattered to you. Mm -hmm. Is there a sort of a, can you remember why that mattered or is there a certain point you decided, Hey, oh, I man. write articles. I want to be a speaker presenter. I want to build a reputation in this industry versus just heads down work with your clientele. Why was it important? So that's actually a really good question. Um, I, I, I can't say there was any uh, point in time or any impetus early in my career that made me think like, Hey, I should, I should have a brand. Uh, and like, I should, I should venture out and like, see what I can do. Like that never really entered my mind. I just viewed it as a natural progression in, in my career. Uh, you know, the first five years of my career, I was, I was doing corporate fitness, commercial gym trainer. Um, and it wasn't until like year four or five, um, that I started venturing into writing articles and writing a blog, um, starting to do the fit cast, which is like the, the first podcast fitness podcast ever really. Um, and then eventually that, that progressed to being asked to present. Um, and that, that, oh my God, that you want to talk about a story of my, my wife, I, I attribute my wife. I might've said the story before. I don't know if it was with you, but like my, the first time I was, I was asked to present, uh, was 2009, uh, or maybe 2010, but 2009, 2010, um, my wife was an adjunct professor at a college here in Boston. Uh, her colleague wanted me to come in to speak to the incoming freshman class uh, on like nutritional strategies in the cafeteria. Um, and I told her bluntly, like, listen, I'm not a nutritionist. Like, uh, but I mean, I know stuff and, and no, I, I certainly have... Uh, an idea or two on like just strategies kids could use to eat a healthier, you know, make better meal choices or whatever. Um, and I remember the night of my presentation, the morning of actually, I woke up at like two in the morning in a panic, like sweating, like, like woke my, my, my girlfriend now wife up and she's like, what's wrong? I was like, I can't do it. I'm going to, I'm going to call in sick. I can't do it. I, can't, it. I just, I, I was just really, really, really nervous. Um, and this is probably going to be speaking in front of like three, 400 people. Um, not a major crowd, but pretty big. And, um, but she talked me through it. Like, it's like, what's the worst that could happen if this, so if this happened, then do you think this will happen? And like, she was just talking me through it. Um, long story short, I did show up. <laughs> I did do it. Um, I didn't suck too bad. And, um, but, uh, and Lisa, my wife, I remember after the fact, uh, we, I remember we, it came up in conversation maybe a few months later, maybe a year later when I was doing more presenting because we were like, wow, man, you're, I'm, I'm now I'm doing all this, these workshops and presenting now. And she's and I was like, remember when I almost didn't want to do that one? And she's like, yeah, like I knew that if you didn't do it, you would never have done it. Um, like, and so it was really, it, it was so important that like, that was such a crucial thing. Like she's, she's 100% right. Like if I, if I ended up not doing that one presentation, um, the likelihood that I would be doing what I do now in terms of like traveling the world and presenting in front of I, a lot, I, 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 it's, it's a big portion of my income actually now, um, that might not, not never have happened. Uh, so, 
um, I don't know where I was going with that, with that whole beginning of the story, but uh, um, you know, oh, as far as brand, it's always always been to me a natural just progression of my career in terms of, you know, what are other ways I can generate passive income or another revenue stream? Um, Cause I think in the, in the long run, the big umbrella theme for me is like, do I really feel like I'm going to be coaching people in person when I'm 65, 70 years old? You know, maybe, maybe, I mean, I have no idea. There's still a ways away. Um, but so to, uh, there's gotta be other ways for me to generate income or develop passive streams of revenue that will help me have be able to make a living, but also prepare for retirement. And to me, that was presenting, coming up with digital products, writing programs, uh, writing in general. Um, you know, so that that's kind of how I approached it. And then the brand just kind of like sort of happened. Like I've never, you know, you know me, Andrew, I'm not, I'm not a very outlandish person. Like I'm like, you know, yes, I'm Tony Genocor, but until like, yeah, I'm Tony Genocor. That's my brand. Like I've never been that type of individual. Um, what was that? Doesn't, it doesn't feel curated like there's been, and this sort of led to something else. So I'll actually sort of throw it out there and you can incorporate it into the conversation as much as you want. But you came in, in in a generation that was before, certainly Instagram, right? And and before social media oh, yeah. was as powerful as it is. So I think a lot of the people coming in now, social media, and, I, and I'm pro-social media. I think use it, mm-hmm. you know, understand how it works, compete for eyeballs against the, the skeezier influencer types in our world instead of complaining about them. But there's also much more effort to curate uh, image and show the world a certain thing amongst this newer generation of, of fitness professional. Whereas I've never felt that yours has been, and I'm not saying curating is a bad thing, it can be, but yours doesn't come off as being, oh shit, I took 50 selfies and I chose the best one. To post. Sure. You've got those little rings in your eyes because you've got that ring light behind or any of that sort of stuff. Yeah, know. no, that's never been my, my MO at all. Um, and I think it actually happens, like, I think I saw Brett put up a good post either yesterday or two days ago on Instagram. Um, telling the story of two different influencers, uh, so to speak. One had, you know, a couple hundred thousand followers, but really struggling to make any money because all this individual is doing is posting selfie pictures and scantily clad pictures. And then the other person um, who is actually putting up relevant content uh, and, and, and putting up instructional videos and, but far less followers. Like we're talking 10,000 followers compared to 150,000 followers. And the the person with 10,000 was like making six figures a year and like doing really well. Whereas the the one with a couple hundred thousand followers was struggling to, you know, sell 10 shirts or whatever. I don't know. But, um, so I, I, I will always say that, uh, quality content and when I, it will matter. And that certainly is subjective in terms of like what, what, what constitutes quality, quality content but I think we all know it when we see it <laughs> like um, you could tell somebody who knows what they're talking about and they're putting up exercise progressions of a dead bug or, or why the dead bug is important here's progressions and or breaking down you know uh, nutritional strategies and like some or debunking this uh, compared to somebody who's just putting up a, a, a cool looking exercise and, and minimal clothing just for the sake of that like that there's a, there's a big stark difference there Two quick thoughts. First of all, the girl that uh, Brett had posted up, um, she he said in the 
post that she had like 5,500 followers, whatever. Okay. Once she put her in the post, she now has 18,000. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I, I think you even mentioned how it's like, oh, well, now she got a bump because you mentioned her. Yeah. yeah <laughs> there, right? And like, it's not like 11, but I commented now. I just looked and it's 18. So, not just, too bad. So now she has a swipe up function thanks to Brett. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that's the power of, of Brett's engaged audience. But I've had this conversation with a couple of my pals who follow me on Instagram and they're, they're ripped shredded guys. And they've lamented the fact that if they put up a, you know, a Jack shirtless photo, you have tons of likes, the metrics all go off like crazy, but they're really interested in sharing the kind of stuff that I think you and I are more known for and, and the people that were swimming in the same sort of circles. And they've noticed that they're not getting a lot of engagement, a lot of shares. Well, it's in part because of the type of follower that they their work has built up over time. And it's a shallow type of follower that will click like on a shirtless selfie, but doesn't necessarily read the caption or engage in a deeper level. So I've enjoyed, like I've been building my social media aggressively for the space of time that I've been trying to invest in it. And one of my goals is, you know, hey, I actually do want to totally get to that 10,000 yep. follower mark because I started really late in the game on Instagram. And it's been fucking fun as hell. I've been loving it. And mm, anything I post up for the most part is crazy engaged, crazy shared. You know, I keep getting followers all the time. And it, like Brett's point, absolutely. Like the type of follower, the type of stuff you're putting up really does matter. So, you know, for anyone who's trying to build that following, yes, it does take consistency, hard work. You got to have a really great message. <laughs> But I'm hesitant to, to encourage anyone to take any real shortcuts with it either because you're no. not at the same level of engagement or... I mean, it's, it's a job. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I mean, sometimes I get, it's a, I mean, I will be the first, I'm not remotely aggressive on Instagram. Like, I mean, I, I mean, there, there's, there's people out there, Megan wrote about it before. I know Brett has like, you know, how you frame the, the film and like the angle and you know, how you look, I mean, it's all, it's all relevant. Um, and then, and then we can start talking about, you know, adding graphics and, um, you know, not, not to mention the caption, is that engaging? And um, I mean, there, there's, it's, it's, it's like a second job trying to keep up with that stuff. Uh, and it can be exhausting. Um, I've noticed too, and, you know, I put up a lot of um, ideas and I just literally post them to Twitter. I chop out the image and I throw it up on Instagram. And those get shared like crazy. They drive. Yeah. I've noticed that too. Like when you just put a, take a tweet and just put that up as a caption, they, those get a lot of engagement. Yeah. Tons of engagement. And again, the, what's key there is there's two keys. One is the quality and what you're saying, right? You got to practice that, come up with your best thoughts, share. Two, it's the human desire for familiarity. You can go into music and how like familiar sounding, like all songs are structured very similarly. And there's a very predictable, almost algorithm to what music will be hit versus what isn't because humans like familiar patterns, story writing, you know, the, the Joseph Cam, uh, Joseph Campbell, hero's journey, the stuff that star Wars, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings are all the same fucking story when you boil down to it. So what I've noticed is a lot of fitness professionals who are trying to get themselves out there. They're taking that sort of idea behind the Twitter thing, but they're making their images, they're altering it some way. They're making it really busy. I was actually talking to my buddy PJ Street and we had a big chat about this and he had a whole bunch of stuff all over this image. And, and I tried to, it's like, you know, actually, I think it would actually look better and be more engaging if it wasn't quite as busy. And he actually agreed with me. And I've seen people, um, I think you met Kieran Marsalis when you were up here, right, Kieran? The, Kieran yes. Is, yeah, he's, he's a goofy, fun, high yeah. brilliant yeah. little dude. He's always got that sword. So all he did was, 
put a sword graphic through his picture and everything else was the same tweet thing. And I was like, I like that because it's simple. It's one little thing that's unique to you, but it's not busy and it works. Whereas I've seen other people clutter it up or alter it in some way. I've seen people actually put a fake blue check mark on theirs, which I really? actually, looks, that looks awful. That looks oh, man. dreadful. That's so cheesy. Yeah. And yeah. So I didn't realize people do that. I mean, I, I've gotten an influx of, uh, See it twice. Um, I've, I've, I had, I've had an influx of uh, people messaging me on Instagram about how to, how to get the blue check that I, that I just delete. Um, <laughs> yeah. like basically you're basically, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know how it worked. Like they're saying, it seems like they're, they're, they're insinuating that you buy the blue check. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea what the hell I just don't, I just delete them anyways. I don't even read them. My but, um, CFL, he's got like a thousand followers, like Canadian Football League. And yeah, he's got a blue check mark. I was well, like, that, well, I think if you're, I think that goes without saying, if you're a professional athlete, actress, whatever, but, um, you know, in the, in the fitness industry, I'd imagine it probably comes down to, um, you know, books you've written. Pro I don't, I have no idea how, I mean, but I really don't care. <laughs> like, I could get two shits if I have a blue, blue check mark. You Tony Gentlecore with, with your name. It's like, Jesus, right? I've actually got an Andrew Coates who follows me, found me on T Nation. Every once in a while, he'll just like comment on my Facebook or like shoot me a message or whatever. It's just kind of a funny thing. And it gets confusing if people see us talking to each other, like what the fuck's going on? Yeah, I have a, there's another Tony Janacor who's uh, actually uh, a, a computer programmer. I think he used to be involved with Firefox. Um, but yeah, I've, I, we, he and I have corresponded a few times, just kind of a surreal thing, because I'm, I'm not a common name at all. Andrew Coates isn't either, but um, mine even more so. Uh, so it's always, it's always kind of, kind of a kick out of it. <laughs> uh, there's a guy in the industry, sort of an idiot pal, his name is Chris Ruman. And I mean, he's, he's a trainer, reputable guy, whatever. And then there's also a keto Chris Ruben, like a, a guy, a nutritionist with a keto brand. So that's kind of a, that's oh, kind of a one to deal with. Oh man. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. Social media, yeah, Instagram, social media in general, it's definitely, a a second job. Um, you know, I, but I agree with you. I think, I think you, we fitness professionals definitely should lean into that shit. Like it is a way of, uh, engaging, especially you gotta be engaging with your audience. Like it, it makes, it makes zero sense to me to spend all this time, uh, um, uh, putting out great content and then not interacting with your audience if they ask questions or when they ask questions and, um, you know, I try to comment on most comments, even if, you know, I don't know if you've gotten them, but even if you like, I've gotten messages from people who are like dumbfounded that I'll, I'll like a post that they like, I can't believe you liked it or, or responded to it. I was like, it's like, I'm not that big of a deal that I can't answer a question or, or say thank you. Like, <laughs> it's not no big deal. No, too big a deal to respond to yeah. Um, so I think that's, I mean, that's, that's often a missed uh, um, component of, of social media engagement too, is actually, actually engaging with your audience. I've, me and Jordan Sire were talking about this recently. Like Jordan's got 600,000 plus followers. You know, uh, if you share somebody's post, they actually don't get notified. You've got to like put in their at name. So I actually always tell people like, Hey, tag me because I, hey, I want to be able to say thank you. If someone yep. shares something that I posted, and they've tagged me. I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to, of course, yeah. And I'll never get tired of it. Jordan never gets tired of it. We appreciate it. So don't be afraid that. And I've had people message me like, oh, you know, I was afraid I'm being annoying. I'm like, fuck no. 
Like share no, that. Not at all. This is how not I follow my work. Um, you know, and I want to be able to say thank you. Like if someone's that engaged, they like what you're doing that much, and they're actually quote a fan. Like, holy shit! Yeah, that is the coolest feeling in the world. So, by all means, and, and don't be afraid to do that. Ah, shit, I had another thought there too. Oh, I know what it was. So, one of the posts that got the most engagement I've ever had was the one that you kind of copied, where I, I took a, a new photo. I was encouraged. I had to get rid of the, you know, the, the striated belts, like Jack-looking photo that I've been using for so long. It's still up on my teenage bio. I think it suits that a bit more. But it was a, a more accessible, less intimidating sort of photo because that's also not my my audience outside of the teenage writing. My audience and my clientele is not like Jack Bros who want to want muscle mass. I don't train bodybuilders. It's not my thing. So. It, a couple of friends suggested, hey, you need to change. So I had a friend of mine take some photos and it came out really well. And then I just wrote this post, like a whole bunch of just little pieces about me that people didn't even know. Oh, and yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Derek Stanley loved it. So he did the same thing. And then I, you went and turned around and, and did the same thing. And that actually got a ton of engagement. And that's just, that's just being a real person. That's not curated. That's just actually sharing a bit more yourself. And, and that's why. Yeah, I think that's, I, and that kind of goes into the rapport. I was talking about earlier, people want to be able to relate to you that you're not just a, a deadlifting terminator or that you're not just talking about like anatomy of hip flexion uh, or how to improve scapular upward rotation, like that you, that they can relate to you in some other capacity. Um, whether it be, you know, a show you're watching or um, I think a lot of what, what, what uh, was popular about you writing your about me posts or, or, or random facts post. Uh, at mine is there's a lot of my past that people don't know about, like my competitive baseball, um, you know, kind of joking about that and, um, you know, playing in the collegiate level. And like, I mean, there's just stuff I brought up that, you know, was a nice memory lane transition for me, but then, you know, a lot of people that, that didn't know about me either, which was, uh, and not to mention, it was just, you know, I was in a writing rut at the time and uh, what better way to get out of it than to write about yourself. So <laughs> No, it was, a, it was a home run in many ways. Yeah, if you're interested in writing, I mean, again, you're widely recognized as being a very good writer. Um, your, your writing is very accessible. And I'm recently just been reading, I like books on writing, so I've been reading Bird by Bird by Anne. Yeah, Mom. great book. Yeah, great book. And it seems like every third chapter is kind of about, not about so much writing directly, but she just goes into, hey, just like start thinking about how you grew up or stuff about your life and just start writing. Mm -hmm. and, and you never know where it's going to lead to, to where you get something that's really usable. And it may not be usable right now. It might be usable later. And yeah. You and I ended up writing something that turned out to be very, very engaging and popular with our followings Yeah, that uh, just shared a bit more about stuff that people otherwise didn't know. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember all the stuff I included in there. There's probably stuff I missed out on, but it's like, I used to be a martini bar owner back in my mid twenties in St. John's, Newfoundland, right? I grew up in a, town of 500 people my high school graduate graduating class was nine there's all this sort of stuff that people couldn't even believe about you know any number of people in the industry that you once you peel back the layers there's a lot more than just that quote curated social media image yeah yeah um yeah you beat me like i i thought i was tiny my my graduating class was 55 so um which is tiny but then when you when you compare it to nine that yeah, <laughs> that's my, nuts my hometown, when I, I was, what, four till I was 17, then I moved into St. John's, Newfoundland, to go to university. My whole family came in at the same time. Dad pivoted into business that he was involved in. And my hometown, 
was smaller than most people's high school graduating classes. Yeah, yeah. Put that in perspective, right? And this is also pre-internet, so the world was a lot, I guess, bigger in that sense, but like the world that I was contained within was a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. Drive four hours just to go and buy CDs in a store. Oh, man. And we had Columbia House, so we we did we were able to order the CDs, and we got the Christmas Wish book. So the Sears catalog was the big exciting thing we were kids. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We circle like, everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like holy shit, right? Did you walk, uh, you know, two hours or two hours to school each way? Both ways are uphill, carrying all. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. That was my dad's life, but we did walk to school um, a fair distance in this rural town. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, so you're right though. People, I there's there's no secret why that that's engaging. You know, people wanna. It just goes back. They want to be able to relate to you. Um, you know that you're not just. Yes, the fitness part portion is important. Uh, you know, I think most people who read our stuff is because of that. It's not because of our upbringing, so to speak. But uh, but if they if there's some little like thing that they can relate to you on you know, whether it is coming up in a very rural area or playing baseball growing up or, you know, you know, being obsessed with Goodfellas. Uh, uh, you know, I think that that's, you're only going to, you know, get more people in, in your circle, so to speak. Um, you know, they're going to, they they tend to stick around a little bit longer when they know they can relate to you in other capacities. When I first watched Goodfellas, I went on a big Ray Liotta kick and I pretty much watched every Ray Liotta, Ray Liotta. Yeah. Find. I remember that unlawful entry. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was in <laughs> uh, identity. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's you know, it's kind of weird. He didn't become a bigger deal. Uh, uh, I mean, he did feel the dreams, and he did. Or I think when Goodfellas feel the dreams, um, or maybe vice versa. But uh, but yeah, like he never. I mean, I know he became a well-known actor, but he didn't become like a huge deal. Mister. He, um, the thing I loved him in the most was voicing the lead character in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Oh, I would. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, so he's the voice of that. Uh, the Grand Theft Auto Three, your character doesn't talk, so he, he's the first protagonist that actually talks. I think it's Tommy Versetti. I think was his name. So Leota did that masterfully. Something I, have, you know, to your point about engagement. So I post up a lot about my history <laughs> on. Things like, I love Witcher 3, the Witcher series, or RPGs, or Dungeons and Dragons, or Lord of the Rings, that sort of stuff. And that gets a ton. And I probably get more messages about when I post my cat, Ozzy, in my story than anything to do with yeah. There's all these women who follow, and they just love Ozzy, right? Couldn't give a damn about me, but Ozzy's like the star of the show. And I even got a yeah. last night about that. So, uh, But, you know, he's part of my life, too, and he's a lot of fun, and people love fluffy cats. So, fuck game on. Yeah, yeah I mean... I, yeah, I've posted many pictures of Dagny, my cat, and then people loved, uh, you know, Pop-Up Julian, um, when I, you know, uh, lightsaber battles with Julian in the hallway, like, they, they love that stuff, yeah. Um, and you're legendary. So, you know, and, I, you know, and I've learned with Instagram, too, I think I learned from Craig Valentine, you know, how to use your feed compared to stories, like, you know, in your, in your main feed, People, it should be the, the, the meat and potatoes of your content, of course. But, I mean, you can, you can kind of toss in little anecdotes of, of, of your personal life. You know, a cute picture of your cat or, you know, I, like I said, I post uh, uh, hallway lightsaber battles with, with my kid. Um, but stories is kind of where that stuff should live. Um, 
you know, you know, certainly that's where we're using the swipe up feature to like articles and products and Me. stuff we yeah, like. I don't have that yet. I'm working on it. But that's what you'll use it for. Um, but stories too, you know, is where I post, you know, pictures of, you know, a, a dinner sometimes like, um, you know, I tend to think most people in the feed could really care less like what you eat, eat for dinner. Um, unless you're, unless you're like a, um, like a, a meal prep, uh, account or something, I don't know, but, uh, stories is kind of like where your personal life is, uh, and the feed is, is more of where, where your actual content is. Um, you know, and I, I, I remember listening to Craig Valentine speak about that, um, out in California a few years ago, um, which is like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like to, to kind of approach it that way. Well, I'm almost out of time, but I want to make sure yeah. our everybody listening knows where to find you. I'm actually going to drop this episode tomorrow morning. So, oh man, quick, quick turnover. Yeah, I was supposed to record Sam Spinelli this week, but Sam had something come up, so he's now midweek. So I flip flop your guys' order. So anyone listening, you get Sam next week. But uh, yeah, let's make sure everybody knows where to find you. Since we're talking about your social media. Yeah, that my, it will be TonyGemacore.com. So that's my website and that's my blog and social media and podcasts I've appeared on. Every, everything is right there. So that would be where the easiest spot to find me. I definitely recommend getting on your email list. I've been on there before. Yep. With, uh, I, I, or I am as I get your weekly emails, but um, you also feature one of my articles on there and shared it through, which got a lot of traction. So I appreciate that. That was actually really cool. And I know that you share a lot of other people's stuff in the industry. Yep. Uh, who is it? Uh, was it Alex McBriarty? Did you? Sh- was oh yeah, I just saw that his uh, his guest post on my on my site last week was. Uh, I think it made an article of the week on Personal Trainer Development Center, so that was kind of cool. Totally. Um, I didn't even know that until um, uh, Shane McLean let me know that 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 happened. So um, yeah, both those guys. Shane is a great guy. Shane is a. Yep. Uh, a guy who's you know writing a lot of stuff of his own, but he's really engaged with the, the stuff the other writers are doing in the industry. And he's one of the selection committee for all the stuff that goes on the personal trainer development center's weekly list. So Shane's an awesome dude. Yeah. And and Alex, I've met through my travels. He's a really great guy. He's one of those yeah, I've not met him. Me, I don't, I don't think we've crossed paths. But uh, but yeah, he reached out to me, and he actually did a non a non douchey approach to getting a guest post on my site, where he's like, you know, he not that he had to like. know talk me up at all but it wasn't like hey i want to write for your site it was like a nice little introduction and like here's here's you know i read this post that you had i feel like i can elaborate on that topic a little bit more in this fashion and uh um so i was like yeah let's do it um and then he he wrote his guest post i put it up and yeah and i'm sure it's getting more traction for him that was on uh uh the personal training development site so um i'm very happy for him for that He's a great guy, and you know, yeah. he's part of that seems it, yeah. Generation of trainers who, you know, working hard to you know get a little bit more attention, get their names out there a bit more, and you know, people like that. If you're listening, if you feel like you're in that category, I a lot of my social media stuff openly encourage you guys to just work really hard, continue, yeah, do exactly what Alex did in in tactfully build relationships with not just the, you know the industry leaders because you know, guys like you, Tony, you do get inundated with a lot of stuff. But, you know, treat you guys like a real person, but also foster relationships with the people who are where you currently are as well, because those people are growing and blowing up in the industry. And everybody who is now a leader, you know, we talk about guys like Luca or whoever, they all started out humble beginnings somewhere and they all had pals on the way up through. So, I mean, you look at where you and Dean Somerset and Eric Cressy and Pete Dupuy all started out. 
Yeah. Where you guys all are now and you guys all came up together in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I mean, it's always, a. I always say it's always um, uh, half, I half luck, half, you know, like hard work, uh, you know, but certainly no one does it on their own. Uh, you know, I, I, I fully, I'm fully aware that I was, I've been able to surround myself with a lot of high quality individuals in the industry that have helped boost me up as well. So, um, you know, and I know there's a new batch of trainers that are doing the same thing. So, um, yeah, it's always nice to see. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and chat with me. Yeah, I'll, always. I think I'll, I'll dump all this stuff, all the links and, and graphic. And don't do the old graphics where Guido, uh, put someone's face on a movie anymore. <laughs> that's what that was always so good yeah <laughs> it's one of those things like ah let's retire Probably a little time consuming too i don't know like no not at all honestly we just had to think of something that he quite literally just took someone's face splash on it was deliberately crude and rough and yet profoundly popular and very in like distinctly branded but yeah i pivoted away from that when uh, when i changed the name and changed the whole format yeah, I'll get you all that stuff. And yeah, great. Let me know. Now, uh, once, it's, once it goes up, well, you said tomorrow. Uh, yeah. yeah, let me know, and then I'll put it up myself. Beautiful. And then for you know, everyone listening, you know, if you found this for the first time through Tony's feed, um, you know, dropped a few names of people like Luca and our other friends, Pete Dupuy. Uh, they've all done the podcast before, at least in its old form, and I'll have all those guys back and more. Uh, so, you know, check out some of the other stuff in the library, and uh, I'd love it if you end up being a, a regular listener. I'll keep bringing on great guests to earn that and reviews. Five-star reviews are always great. Those are helpful. And uh, if you are a regular listener, but yet not following my social media, I've been far more engaged, especially on my Instagram. So I would love it if you, A, throw me a follow and B, shoot me a message. I want to connect with you and I want to chat with you and hear your thoughts on uh, why you've been tuning into the podcast. Thanks, Tony. Have a great rest of your day. And I've got to run off and uh, coach some clients. Me too. I'll see you later, Andrew. Take care. Bye. Take care.